I'm Damien Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're talking about an annual event that has returned to our area after a two-year COVID-inspired hiatus. That's the Spaceport America Cup, which was recently described by someone in our newsroom as March Madness for aspiring rocket scientists. That seems accurate. We'll talk to Las Cruces Sun News reporter Algernon DeMassa, who regularly covers the spaceport, its anchor tenant, Virgin Galactic, and related topics. And to photojournalist Meg Potter, who is relatively new to New Mexico, about their experiences covering the first day of the event. First, Meg Algernon, Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, Damien. Yeah, happy to be here. Let's just kind of start by giving you both a little space to talk about what you saw last Thursday. Algernon? We saw rows of tents and over a thousand college students, graduate students, and mentors from all over the world out at the vertical launch area at Spaceport America. This is the Spaceport America Cup, which is an annual rocketry competition, the largest of its kind in the world, according to the Spaceport. And I think that is accurate. I don't find anything that really rivals it. And they were at the Las Cruces Convention Center starting Tuesday, and then for three days, there were rocket launches out in Sierra County at the spaceport. So you were out there for the first day of the field launches? Yeah, the actual first day. They were supposed to start rocket launches on Wednesday, but they actually got rained out. Um, we've had our, we've started getting our monsoon rains a little bit early in southern New Mexico. And so the dirt roads that lead to the launch area out at the spaceport are unpaved. And so the ground was very wet. The streets were really muddy. A, a number of cars apparently got stuck in the mud and spaceport staff had to get winches and help pull the cars out. And so they actually ended up not doing any launches at all on Wednesday. And we're trying to pack them all in Thursday, Friday, and Saturday before the awards ceremony Saturday night back in Las Cruces. Sure. Meg, I'm guessing that this isn't like things that you've seen uh, as you've traveled around the country. What were your first impressions? Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen rockets launch before. <laughs> um, it was it was really interesting. Yeah, uh, I wasn't 
Yeah, spaceport is just kind of a weird space. It's like in the middle of the desert, and you had to take a, a back road to get to it. Yeah, it's, so it's hidden behind a mountain, for one thing. Yeah. yeah. So it was just, it was, it was kind of funny watching like a thousand students from all over the world, like running around the New Mexico desert. In past years, this event has drawn more than 1,700 aspiring rocket scientists to the area. Do we know how many showed up this year for uh, this year's event? Right. They were expecting more than 5,000 people. Um, what? Yeah, they were expecting, I mean, pre-registered, there were almost 150 teams from all over the world. Wait, now, not competitors? Everybody... Competitors are just like onlookers, too. No, these are just participants in the competition. These, these, these are competitors, but... Not all the teams actually make it to New Mexico, uh, especially when teams are coming from as far away as Thailand and Malaysia and India. They have to raise a lot of money and and actually make the trip. And not all of the teams make it. So actually on the ground, we were told on Thursday that almost 100 teams had actually made it. And the average size team, 10 or 11 people. So that can be your, that could be how you use arrive at a ballpark figure for how many people were actually there. But when we asked, they, they, they weren't, they didn't have a precise number for us. So it might be as many as 1,100. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seemed that there was one to 2,000 people out there on Wednesday when we were there. There was probably a, a whole lot of pinup frustration after not being able to attend for the past two years because of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, you know, we've been... we've been covering these competitions for several years now, pretty much since they move the competition from Utah to the spaceport. And one thing that I've appreciated in past years is just how social the whole process is. I mean, there's some research that you can do online, but when it comes to designing, manufacturing your components and integrating your rocket, it really is a, a team effort and getting that ready and putting it on a launch rail is all a, a community activity. And so a lot of teams were professing their relief and their happiness that they could be out together and actually launching their rocket and seeing their project come to fruition. Can you speak a little bit more, Algernon, about um, that social component, about how the teams interact, what the general atmosphere is out there? I found it to be pretty festive. Um, there, It is, of course, a competitive event, and the teams are trying to outdo each other, but they also help each other out a lot, too. There's a lot of borrowing of tools and, and problem solving when, hey, my, you know, this, this, I broke something, and I'm not quite sure how to fix it properly in time to pass a safety check and, and get cleared to launch. And borrowing, so, borrowing of brains. 
borrowing brains, borrowing soldering irons, bar, you know, borrowing duct tape, whatever, whatever is needed. So they actually kind of help each other succeed, even though they're trying to outdo each other. Meg, what did you see? I mean, I saw a lot of excited faces, um, lots of frantic running about, <laughs> trying to make sure they're, they can get in line so their rocket would launch that day and they wouldn't get delayed till Sunday. Um, lots of fun little details. Um, uh, there was one team that wore like patches all over their pants, like NASA patches, which I thought was really cool. Another team like had a, oh gosh, what it's called, that stress ball. Oh yeah. Like the little squishy balls. Right. Yeah. Um, Another team I saw had a stress ball that was like a brain. And I thought that was fun. You know, kind of like a, only at a super nerdy event would you see that? <laughs> but yeah. Otherwise, one of yeah, Algernon pretty much got it covered. The event, which was uh, sponsored by the Experimental Sounding Rocket Association and Spaceport America, draws students from universities, both from across the United States as well as from abroad. Algernon, tell us about the participants that you encountered there? Well, domestically, yes. Universities from all around the United States travel to New Mexico for the competition. And we met several from uh, New Mexico and UTEP over in El Paso was there too. I should mention that part of the competition, there's a auxiliary trophy called the Chili Cup. And that's specifically for the universities from New Mexico and Texas Yay! with one another. Yes. Yes. And um, it was it's fascinating to talk to the universities from outside the U.S. because they sort of have an ex they have extra hurdles that they need to jump through. For example, I talked to a team from India and they talked about how their federal regulations in India actually make it extremely difficult to do rocket launches or even test the components unless they test parts separately. Uh, Not to mention the fact that just traveling here, teams have to get the components of their rocket into the United States, which is an interesting (laughs) look when you're going through airport security. Yeah, uh, it looks funny in a a, a checked luggage. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time historically to be to, to have, you know, rocket fins in your luggage. Uh, and what often happens is that they come here with those parts and then they get their propellant, their black powder, the, even their motors while they're here rather than trying to. I mean, you can't even bring some of those things into the United States. I should also say that. Um, Recruiters from the aerospace industry also have a have a steady presence here. There's that many of them sponsor the event. They set up tables and they're here looking for young talent that's emerging from our universities. And some of the students are actually recent graduates who've already started their careers with SpaceX, Blue Origin, Raytheon or any of a number of aerospace countries. 
sorry, aerospace industries that have a presence here. They're recruiting talent or they're conducting research on some of the students' rockets because the rockets actually do carry working research payloads into atmospheres, you know, 10,000, 30,000 feet into the air. Right. They're they're good enough to work in the, the real world. And some of them already are. Meg, what was your experience in that regard? The international students were really happy to be there. Um, like Algernon said, they had to jump through many more hoops than the American teams. Meg, from the perspective of a visual journalist, I imagine an event like this offers a lot of opportunities. Um, is that a correct assumption? Yeah, definitely. It was it was really fun watching people like frantically run around with rockets. So that was really fun, and um, to see rockets launch itself like was it was a super fun assignment and lots of smiling faces lots of these students have probably never been to the desert uh and certainly not the new mexican desert and this was probably a really new experience for them and um, Algernon, you talked about the flooding. That might be that might be a, a good place to start, and then talk about what happened afterward. Right. So you know, generally, the the Sierra County Desert in June is very hot and very sunny, and we did get some of that weather this week, and and and, and know, often very dry. Yeah, oh yeah, no, it's a, it's it's basically like uh, being in an air fryer. <laughs> yes, it is. And so when I interview rocketeers from, say, Scotland or Wales, you know, <laughs> I'll say, you know, what do you think of Thailand? Say, oh, this is great. Yeah, love this. It's a vacation from what I have to go back to. I I actually get to dry out. So I love that. But then, yeah, this year, what was interesting was that you had some of that kind of weather, but then they would get drenched in these rains that would turn these roads into rivers of mud. And actually, my reporting this year opens with the story of an adventure one fellow from the University of British Columbia had as he was driving his minivan back from the city of truth or consequences to the spaceport. He was taking a county road that was unpaved, thinking that, oh, this is a shortcut and I'll get there in time to see my team launch the rocket. And then he got completely mired in the mud. (laughs) And I happened to be taking that road myself when I encountered him and his car was sunk deep down in the driver's side. He couldn't even open the door. He had to crawl through a window to get out. He was caked in mud and he couldn't even call his teammates to tell them what had happened. And it was just, how do I get past these ranch lands with cows grazing to the spaceport? And that's kind of what it's like is you just overcome hurdles and challenges to get your rocket up in the air. And the weather is just part of that story. 
Meg, what was it like for you? Well, I'm from Phoenix and it was like 85. So I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. <laughs> Um, a a cool winter day right yeah definitely was hot and sweaty i was worried about getting a sunburn but i think i'm i'm much more acclimated to the desert than like the team from switzerland (laughs) algernon um i know there's been a lot written about the economic impact that this event has on our community What can you tell us about that? We certainly know that many participants are not staying in truth or consequences. No, most of them are staying in Las Cruces. The events begins and ends at the Las Cruces Convention Center. First, they do exhibitions and things at the convention center. Then after several days at the spaceport launching rockets, they come back to the convention center Saturday night for an awards ceremony. Most of them are staying at hotels in Las Cruces. They're eating in Las Cruces or in truth or consequences. They're drinking, uh, eating, they're buying supplies. And so you have thousands of people coming and visiting and spending money for a while. So there's certainly a significant economic impact to the, to Las Cruces, but also I would say to truth or consequences. What does it mean for that community for TRC? So TRC is much smaller and they appear to have less in the way of hotels and accommodations and services. On the other hand, I met one team that had traveled to the event across the country in a Tesla, an electrical vehicle. And I learned that actually Truth or Consequences has charging stations for Tesla vehicles. I didn't even know that. Uh, Truth or Consequences also has a pretty popular brewery. They have some entertainment. They have coffee shops. And, uh, you know, this is a a community that stands to benefit certainly from – the rocketeers coming as well as the waterfront economy that takes place over the summer in neighboring elephant butte as far as the rocketeering or the aerospace community how would you see those two communities stacking up against one another Well, aerospace is certainly interested in recruiting talent from the rocketry community. And I mean, there's, of course, a community of people who just like to launch rockets because rockets are cool. And there are also people who see rockets as an opportunity to do other kinds of research that has more broad application to aerospace. And there's Certainly interest in New Mexico to invite more of these industries to settle in New Mexico and to employ people at the kind of pay scale that aerospace professionals make here, civil engineers, uh, pilots, scientists who develop the research for these rockets, the mechanics and engineers who design and build motors and other components that are relevant to rocketry. So there's a lot of economic development that is trying to make the grounds here more fertile for that, not only at our spaceport, which is really a 
underreported research and development center. I think people think of the spaceport as being mostly about Virgin Galactic and flying tourists sure. space. Yeah. Maybe someday. Right. But um, there's a lot of research and development that happens out there already. And there could be more. There's also efforts underway to renovate the airport in Las Cruces that is convenient to the industrial park to see if there's the possibility of attracting more aerospace development around that industrial park, being that it's so convenient to the spaceport as well. One of the things that you mentioned that I think is kind of interesting is the different kind of payloads that don't have a heartbeat. And I was wondering what you saw when you were out there last week covering this. What sorts of things are they looking at taking into space? Well, that's a great question. There is a surprising range of the kinds of payloads. Some of the teams that have less experience have payloads as simple as gliders that are designed to release when the par parts of the rocket break up and spread the glider's wings so that it can fly to the ground. That's sort of, you know, just can we get something here that will deploy at the altitude we want it to deploy? There are some payloads that actually have serious research attached to them. And some examples of that are instruments that measure the way organic material responds to the microgravity conditions during a launch or at the heightened altitude. You know, what happens to this fiber? What happens to this tissue if I fly it at 30,000 feet? And that can have medical applications as well as other applications. A team from New Mexico Tech had a device that kind of does, I'm paraphrasing here, so uh, somewhere there's a scientist cringing, but uh, <laughs> what it does is it, it, it's basically a diagnostic device. How do you know if something has happened to the structure of your rocket during takeoff? Well, one way to measure that is to measure space sound waves. And if they suddenly change, that could point to a structural change that happens suddenly to your rocket. That could also be applied and translated to devices that, for instance, monitor the condition of a spacecraft. So they're experimenting with different kinds of instruments that measure all kinds of different things that happen when it's on an object that is moving very quickly up to a very high altitude. Also, some of these rockets had payloads that had things like souvenirs for sponsors that helped the teams get here to the United States. The Malaysian team like, also um, had a will, uh, will fly this into that space. Had symbolic value for them. Yeah, metals. I mean, you know, they're not going to outer space. They're going, you know, at tops about 30,000 feet in the air. But, you know, it's it's it's, sure. it's a souvenir for sponsoring our team and helping make it happen. So, yeah, they would fly things that they can give to their sponsors. Now, going back to the uh, Spaceport Cup, how is the event structured? And I guess what I mean is what are participants judged upon? How do you win? How do you win the Spaceport America Cup? Sure. 
there are different kinds of there, there's a number of different prizes and it starts with exhibitions on the opening day. That's what happens at the convention center on Tuesday. So the teams have to present their research. They present their rocket as well as demonstrations of their research and their mission, the design, the judges from the uh, organization, the Experimental Sounding Rocket Association, ESRA. That's the nonprofit that actually manages the competition. The judges come and they ask questions and the students have to actually defend their project and they're scored for that. There are also safety briefings because the safety protocols are elaborate, they're complex, and if the teams don't comply with them, they can actually be deducted points. Their, their rockets are actually subject to a series of safety checks as well before launch. And they're, of course, scored on the success of their rocket's performance and whether they accomplished their mission. They're scored for their payloads, if they're flying payloads. And there are a number of prizes because there are different kinds of rockets. There are two-stage rockets that are designed to launch and then do something while they're in the air. There are rockets that use different kinds of fuel, solid and liquid fuel or hybrid fuel. There are 10,000-foot rockets and 30,000-foot rockets. So there's a lot of different prizes for different missions. And then there's sort of overall excellence. Um, that's kind of the Spaceport America Cup itself, which is a distinct trophy that's designed to look a little bit like this arc sculpture that graces the front gate of the spaceport if you go there. And, of course, there's the Chili Cup, which is kind of an extra award specifically for the university teams from New Mexico and Texas, uh, just awarding sportsmanship, good design, good planning, good execution, and good performance all around. Was there anything that either of you saw out there that was particularly striking or, or poignant? I'll let Meg go first. Um, honestly, no. <laughs> Not that I can think of. <laughs> I think one thing is that we've covered a lot of these now, and we've tr we've covered them from different angles, right? We've tried to write a little bit of an introduction to the science. We've written about the setup of the competition itself. We've done it as a sort of business story. We've written about these science and aerospace companies recruiting people and hiring. I think what moves me the most is the human story. And right. what really strikes me is the kind of giddiness where some of the people who have been in this business for a long time still turn into kids when they're looking up into the sky and trying to find the parachute where a rocket that's gone 30,000 feet in the air is coming down. And just that kind of, it's, it's an unfeigned kind of joy. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's still kind of that, that youthful enthusiasm. Plus this really dogged determination to solve problems. And sometimes the problems are 
completely unpredictable. And, you know, a rocket could just blow up instead of going up into the air. That happens sometimes. And, and, um, and I don't think I don't think that a lot of people appreciate that. Sometimes what's happening out there, and especially during the Spaceport Cup, is about problem solving. Very much so. Uh, no matter how well you plan, the unexpected, you can count on the unexpected to, and, <laughs> to appear. And I, they even show up with ideas to solve problems that you and I don't think about every day. Oh, no, certainly not. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's just staggering. I mean, I go there thinking, okay, I've learned something about this. I kind of know what's going on. And I always feel like a fish out of water and I see these capable people just working together and, and solving problems and making things move forward. And this is after traveling across the world or across the country sure. and, <laughs> you know, just having to be resourceful. Do either of you have any other impressions you'd like to share from your time out at the spaceport? No, I, I think we covered it all. Algernon? I may be repeating myself a little bit here, but the spaceport, it was kind of sold to taxpayers on the back of this story about Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic flying people into space, which, as we speak, has come close but hasn't really come to fruition. Right. And so there's a lot of cynicism about the spaceport. And I think the story that is not told as much is the story about all the research and development that happens there. Partly this is because aerospace is famously secretive. There are military applications that they want to keep secret, and there are proprietary competitive things that they want to keep secret. So it's been hard for people like us to really get in there and tell that story about what all is really happening out there in Sierra County. We don't, we don't really have a clear picture of all the tenants at the spaceport, do we? We have, I mean, the tenants out there is public information. Not everything about what those tenants are doing is public information. The spaceport, just to review, is run by a public agency, and it was built largely with taxpayer money. But a lot of what these companies are doing out there is kept confidential, and the spaceport has fought some battles to really preserve a lot of secrecy. And, and, and lost some battles, Algernon. It, is, it's, it has won some and it has lost some. Its current leadership has, I think, opened up a little bit more to press coverage because they're trying to let more people into the story of the research and development that's happening out there. Meg and I got to go out to some of the launch pads for the first time. I don't think we've ever had access to that before. Uh, so there, I think that there's a sense at the spaceport that they want to let taxpayers know about more of the other activities that are going on out there. You know, 
there is a history, and I'm thinking about Heath Hauseman and uh, Patrick Hayes, who <laughs> both fought for access to those records about tenants and about uh, what they're doing out there. And it didn't always work out in the uh, spaceport's favor. No. And those battles are probably going to continue. I mean, lawmakers actually changed New Mexico's sunshine laws to allow the spaceport to keep more information secret that previously had fallen under public information. So it has won some of those battles, and it has also uh, had to concede in the face of lawsuits from journalists like Heath to disclose terms of their leases, to disclose some of what happens out there on this public facility that was built on state trust land. Well, Algernon, Meg, thank you so much for your time today. I want to thank you for taking a little time to talk about your coverage of this event, which draws thousands of people to Southern New Mexico. Thanks for having us, Damien. Ciao. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Algernon and Meg for joining us this week. Also, you can find this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at The Sun News, thank you for the privilege of your time.